Welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week is a gambling expert. Sports, casino, promotions, you name it, this man knows how to beat the house and has made a living doing it for years. His gambling knowledge is only surpassed by his character. A great guy, and I'm proud to call him my friend. Please welcome Captain Jack Andrews. Captain Jack, thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you, Spanky. It's an honor to be here with you. Uh, I, I definitely have looked forward to this. Uh, this is one of the premier podcasts out there when it comes to how real sports betting is done. Well, I appreciate that. Coming from you, that means a lot. So, Jack, let's just touch base. I know you've discussed this on other podcasts, everything, but I'd like to start off with how was life growing up? Uh, Spanky, I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, I have lived here all of my life. And, uh, you know, growing up, I, my family was not big-time gamblers by any stretch. In fact, uh, growing up, I lived about 45 minutes from Atlantic City, and I never went there. I had no idea what it was like. I, know I, I had no idea. We would vacation down at the New Jersey Shore all the time. We had had a house down in Wildwood. And uh, so it wasn't until I was probably about a senior in high school that I even w- drove to Atlantic City for the first time and, and saw what it was like with the big hotels right up there against the ocean. And I was like, oh, wow, that, you know, that seems kind of cool. Uh, and then it started to be around that time, one of the fun things that the teenagers we would do at that time is we'd go down to Atlantic City and we would just kind of hang out in the casino lobbies. Because back then, Atlantic City, you weren't allowed to have anyone under 21 even on the casino floor. And so they always had the ability for you to walk around uh, the perimeter of the casino uh, lobby space, hall space, whatever, and they'd have these big fancy lobbies. And we'd go down there and just kind of hang out and sit in the lobby. And I, I don't know why. I mean, I honestly don't know what we were trying to accomplish there. We weren't looking to get a gamble or a drink or something. It just seemed like something cool to do. So I did that a few times. And that was really my first exposure to gambling at all. Uh, and then after I turned 21 uh, was the first time that I actually gambled. And I did what a lot of people would do. I went down to Atlantic City. Uh, I had 20 bucks or something. I bought 20 bucks worth of quarters. I ran that up to, you know, a big plastic cup full of a lot of quarters. I don't even know how many. My fingers were all black with the dirty quarter grease or whatever it is. Uh, And then I ran that all the way down to nothing. And I went home and I was like, oh, that sucked. Um, And that was kind of my first exposure to gambling. It wasn't until uh, I actually, by chance, uh, had a bachelor party in Vegas and uh, I decided I wanted to learn a casino game other than playing these stupid slots. And so I decided to learn craps. Uh, and I think I, uh, you know, found some information on how craps works. And of course, you know, being the guy that I am that has to figure out an angle, I found a way to beat craps. Uh, I came up with a system. And the system was very simple. When I would lose, I would increase my free odds bet because, you know, the free odds are uh, uh, no house edge. And I figure if I can increase them, uh, you know, the casino has no edge. And I'm I can basically do like a martingale system, but since the casino has no edge, I, I wouldn't lose. I'm totally tossing out that there's a, a pass line bet involved. Anyway, I go out to Vegas with this system and I win $300 and I'm hooked. You know, I'm like, ah, you know, this is my, this is the way I'm going to make money from now on. I'm just going to go to the casino. I'm going to play my crap system. Well, fortunately for me, I got so into it that I built a simulator uh, on, on my computer to simulate craps. And I, I let it run for like 10,000 hours of play or whatever. And it would never win. It would just constantly, you know, go up and down and down, down, down. And I, I kind of came to the realization that maybe this game is not beatable. And so that set me on a course of what games are beatable. Then I found blackjack. I found count, card counting. And then the rest is uh, history. I kind of became an AP, an advantage player, and, uh, you know, had tried to get an edge at whatever casino game I could find. Wow. Awesome. I love it. That's great. Yeah. We've all started somewhere and to hear that story um, where you had to, you know, find out and, and you use the simulation, um, which was great. You know what I mean? I, I, I remember myself, you know, being from Jersey, there was a famous gambler out of Jersey named John Patrick. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard of him and he wrote his books and, you know, he was a real gambler. The guy would really go like, I'd see him on the bus to Atlantic city 
you wouldn't be taking those buses where, you know, you pay 20 bucks, but they give you like $25, you know, back when you, when you arrive. And the guy was a real gambler. He made all these videos. Now, when I started reading his books, I thought, man, these books are the best thing in the world. And then you slowly start learning that, you know what, a lot of the stuff, the math is not really right in some of these books. Um, but you learn a lot of stuff still from, from, from those books. Do you agree? Uh, yeah. Now, my question is, when you saw him on the buses, was he wearing his turtleneck with a blazer? Yes. Like I, yeah, that's all he wears. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He would come that's right out. I, I, I would meet my friend in Harrison, New Jersey, and he would hop on the bus. I think he came from Corny or something or Lyndhurst. And then we would just hop in. Like, Wait a minute. Is that John Patrick back there? And we couldn't believe it that John Patrick, who we've seen all these videos, so you want to be a gambler, um, this guy's on this bus. And, um, and you know, I, it's crazy because, you know, those videos were like 100 bucks each. But I had my library buy all the videos. Um, and my library wound up paying all this money for these videos because I didn't have that kind of money. And I watched all the videos and I learned and I admired the guy so much. And, you know, despite, you know, the, the, the math that was involved that was wrong, a lot of his fundamental principles were all, you know, money management, discipline. These are things that still to this day are ingrained in me. And I think it's kind of what separates the guys that, you know, that lose and, 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 and long term and are able to, you know, to last and, and be able to make a living out of this. Were you, uh, yeah. so you're familiar with John Patrick. Did you have any, you know, did you read a lot of his books or when you try to learn card counting, did you come across any other books besides that? I was fortunate enough not to get the John Patrick books. I got, you know, when I got into it, I was definitely in the uh, mind of, you know, I need to find the legit ways that casinos are beatable. Card counting was the obvious one. So I started with uh, the Stanford Wong books. I I signed up for BJ21, which was a website, still is a website that uh, Wong ran. Uh, that was kind of the location that card counters uh, gathered on the internet. And just about anyone who's ever uh, been a card counter in the last 20 years has kind of passed through. I know, Spank, you were on there, you told me, um, at, through BJ21. I have an extensive library of books, and I'm one of these people that I think there's no bad book out there because there's always some sort of nugget of information in any kind of text. And I have plenty of books that are just completely horseshit, if I can say that on your, on your show. Uh, they're full of bad theories, bad ideas, but they may have just one little nugget of information about something. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have read through that book in order to find that small nugget. I love it. What a great mentality. You could always just look for the nugget in the pile of shit. And um, it's always yeah. there. No matter what, there's always something you can learn from somebody else. I love that mentality. So, okay, so you're now counting cards. Um, how, how does that go? You know, are, are you thinking about maybe doing this full-time or are you thinking about, you know, becoming a gambler full-time or maybe to supplement your income, maybe a semi-pro? Yeah, you know, I was counting cards and I, I was probably a pretty bad card counter. Uh, but here's the thing. I was, I was mainly playing in Atlantic City. And in Atlantic City, you have largely eight-deck games. Uh, unless you can afford to play the six deck games in the high limit room, which at the time I couldn't afford that. So I would go down to Atlantic city. I remember the AC Hilton sometimes had six deck games at at like a $15 minimum. And I'd try to play those. Uh, But you know, when you're playing a six or an eight deck game, you have to have, first of all, you have to have a large spread of your minimum bet to your maximum bet. Uh, And then you need to be willing to kind of miss out on some of the negative counts. Uh, And you know, as any kind of gambler would tell you, uh, you kind of cut the corners, right? So my max bet, if I was playing a $10 table, might be $150. But when I was playing a $15 table, I would still probably have, uh, you know, a max bet of like $150 as well. And, you know, if my stack had dwindled down, I might cut corners, not put out the bet that I need to put out. Um, here's the thing. I wasn't playing in good conditions. I wasn't playing a very strong game. I wasn't uh, sitting out the negative counts. Uh, I was probably a break-even card counter, and my results were kind of showing that. When I'd go out to Vegas and I could play some good games, I just played some handheld, double-deck, single-deck games, I always had great trips to Vegas, and I'd come home, and I'd slowly grind it back in Atlantic City. Uh, but then I discovered online casinos, and this is right around uh, 2000 or so, and these online casinos had bonuses to sign up, very familiar to how these online sports books are these days in in the regulated environment. And I was able to kind of work these online bonuses 
uh, and they were plentiful. You got new bonuses offered to you all the time every week, um, and you could sign up your, you know, your brother and your mother and your your friends and all this stuff and play on their accounts. And and as a result, you kind of just kept churning this over and over, and you'd get these bonuses, and you and you kind of couldn't lose. And slowly, the casino started to kind of take countermeasures. They'd they'd make you wager through ten times, twenty times, even more, but you still had a positive expectation. And I used this to churn up my bankroll tremendously. Um, you know, probably without online casinos, I, I would have been out of this game long ago. Uh, but online casinos helped me create a bankroll. And that got me also kind of branching out into other things. You know, online casinos gave way to online sports books, you know, because they then had the same kind of bonuses. You're familiar with that. And, uh, you know, I started to say, oh, okay, well, if I'm betting on sports, I want to have an edge. How can I get an edge at betting on sports? So I started to research betting on sports. And, uh, you know, just like in my casino days, I came up with some bad theories and, uh, you know, chased some, some angles that just weren't profitable. But in the end, you kind of come up with what works and what doesn't work and what can be beaten. And I, I specialized on player props for a while. And, I, you know, I could, I could uh, accurately project uh, pitcher strikeouts. And I was, I was betting those for a long time and, and running it up. Uh, and I, I've told this story elsewhere, but uh, the old Bet on Sports, the uh, Gary Kaplan site, Bet on Sports. Big NASA. Yeah, uh, right. They had uh, over under on the number of home runs that would be hit in a game. And they always lined it at either two or two and a half and adjusted the juice, never more than minus 140 to the, the side that they favored. Well, you know, you get a game in uh, Chicago with the wind blowing out you're going to get over two and a half home runs and you have a game at, you know, candlestick park. Cause it was still candlestick back then uh, where the Marine layer settles in. And if the wind's blowing in and no home runs leaving that park. Mm -hmm. And I would just play these basically these basic weather angles on these basic parks. And uh, I did incredibly well with this. And I remember their max bet was $200, but they had multiple skins of the same book. So I'd bet them at each skin. And, uh, you know, I easily made probably forty to $60,000 over the course of a year or two just betting these at $200 a pop. Uh, and then, of course, I've, and I've also told this story elsewhere, bet on sports went under the, you know, the feds, this was like the one sports book they'd cracked down on. They arrested the president of the sports book as he was um, transferring a flight through Dallas or something like that on U.S. soil. Uh, anyway, my money got seized. I was able to get some of it out, but in the end, they, they took about $40,000 or so from me. Um, so that was a, a bad ending to a, what would have been a great story. Did you, I wound up getting a check. They took, I wound up getting a check for pennies on the dollar, like maybe yeah. seven or eight years later. Um, yeah. I think I had a 70,000 there. I think I got a check for like 500 bucks or something. Did you yeah. have something similar? Yeah. I think I got like 200 or something like that. Yeah. At was, that point, was that was money falling from the sky. You know what I mean? I, I mean? It was like, wow, what a win. You know what I mean? We're, we're 70,000 turns into 700, but uh, you're like, I can't believe it. Did you suffer any, before that, did you suffer any other laydowns in the online casino and online sportsbook world? Or uh, There were a few here and there, but they were never for a lot of money because what I was doing is I was, kind of, you know, keeping my deposit small, playing a bonus and cashing out. Gotcha. I remember I used to get checks because back then you would get mailed a check and it would might take four to six weeks. So there would be this cycle and they'd be on delay. And so four to six weeks after you play, you'd get this check and it's made out uh, some crazy bank somewhere, you know, sometimes it had foreign writing on it. And sometimes yeah. your bank would look at it and go, well, we can't cash this. And <laughs> sometimes they would. And uh, so I just had this cycle going. I remember I used to go to the bank with like, uh, like about 10 checks each time I'd go um, and deposit it in. So I never really got pinched too hard when, uh, when a casino or sports book would go under. That's great. So, man, you're, you're really killing these home run props and you're getting into big player props. When do you now decide to say, you know what, I could actually, you know, be a professional gambler and do this full time? You know, it was right around that same time and when I realized the weather effects on baseball. And so I started to dig more and more into this and I found it wasn't just wind. Uh, there was a lot of other factors that came into effect with baseball and they weren't always factored into the line. Now, the funny thing about this is I thought I was pretty unique in this. I actually looked up um, uh, altitude density 
And basically this is what uh, pilots use when they set their altimeter on a plane. And basically it's, it's the density of the atmosphere based on the altitude and based on the, the temperature and humidity level. You know, it all kind of comes together and it creates this basic, uh, you know, like an altitude setting. And I came up with, you know, I kind of scraped together all this data and came up with um, how to factor this for every ballpark. And then I had historical data on how games are played when they're played at the same density altitude uh, elsewhere in, in baseball, as well as at this park. It kind of came up with this whole model this wow. way. And it was highly successful for a few years. Uh, and then it, it just tailed off. And, uh, you know, it was almost like somebody had turned off a light switch. Like it's just the, the books got sharper or whatever, the, the market got sharper. The f so the funny thing about this is years later, I meet Rufus and we're kind of talking a little bit. And I, you know, he mentions, I mentioned, and we realized we were kind of doing the same thing. He was, he had the same approach. Also, I've, I hear other stories with like uh, Mickey Lickman. He had a similar approach to how he was doing it. So I always thought it was kind of curious that me as this lone wolf better I'd bet it into these lines and then I'd have this huge closing line value. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm moving the market. I'm, yeah. I'm impressive. You know, I was, I was probably betting a dime back then and maybe even less, maybe a nickel. Uh, you know, my action wasn't moving the market. It was people like Rufus and, and Mickey that were moving the market. Um, you know, and that's, that's also why the market became more efficient is because, you know, these guys <laughs> kind of, you know, they, they crushed the market and I was just kind of taking my little, Pound of pound of flesh here and there. Wow, yeah, that's yeah, edges are always going to dry up eventually. Um, so 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 after that edge dries up, though, do you always find another edge? Or are you still playing the casinos? Are you do you find you know obviously there's always edges that come up and go, come and go. Um, what uh what kept you going and what made you say, listen, this is it. This is going to be my career. Yeah, you know, I I kind of didn't answer your last question as to when I decided I could become a professional gambler. Uh, you know, the, the thing, Spanky, is anytime you have an edge, it's, it's, it's already dying as soon as you find it. And you need to constantly be evolving. You need to constantly be reinventing yourself. The things that I'm making money from now are not the things I was making money from five, ten years ago. And they're not the things I'm going to be making money from five, ten years from now. You just constantly have to evolve in this business. So uh, around, I'd say around 2010 or 11, I started to realize that I'm I'm making more money at this side hustle of advantage gambling than I am at my day job. And I had a pretty good day job. I was a network manager for a large law firm uh, and I handled all their IT infrastructure. Uh, and that's kind of how I kind of got this. If you ever noticed from a lot of my Twitter um, stuff, it, I, I have sort of a, uh, a legal background without ever having been to law schools because I spent about 16 years working in this law firm. Mm. And I, you know, you, you talk to attorneys, you, you know, you basically kind of understand what litigation is about and, and different things. And, and we had some high profile clients um, and I would read through the cases just out of curiosity. Um, one of our clients might have been a rather large uh, league that uh, was at the forefront of the opposition to legalized gambling. Uh, mm. You can kind of figure out who that is. Um, and I would read, I would read through the cases cause I found it fascinating. So around this time, around 2011 or so I decided, you know, I'm making more money doing this. I had a pretty bad commute. I was commuting two hours each way to work, um, an hour drive then an hour on New Jersey transit train. Uh, and if you've ever ridden a New Jersey transit train, you realize that like, uh, you're on like the eighth circle of hell at that point. So <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to desperately get out of it. And so I decided I'd you know, I'd, I'd try to do this full time. And one of the things that when I went full time is I, I realized that, you know, you need to always be looking for an edge anywhere you can find it. Um, I was doing some hole carding here and there. That's the, you know, practice of uh, you spot one of the dealers down cards in various casino games. Um, but I found that schedule was very tough to keep up with. It requires a lot of scouting, a lot of teamwork. And then when you find like other APs, they tend to be a little territorial and some are not easy to work with. And it just gets to be, uh, more hassle than it's worth. Uh, I tried beating uh, craps again. I tried uh, basically what's called dice control, where uh, you you throw the dice in a certain manner to eliminate one of the axes of rotation and uh, you know try to overcome the house edge. And since the house edge on craps 
is very low. Uh, theoretically, it's possible. I got this practice rig at home uh, that was basically a, a craps, at the end of a craps table, complete with the little pyramid rubber back backdrop, uh, background, backboard thing that you bounce the dice off of. Um, and I got some casino dice and I, I practiced and practiced. I, I had spreadsheets and I would, I would build these long lists of practice sessions. And statistically, yes, I was overcoming the house edge in my practice scenario. However, when I get into casinos, it's a lot different. The game's slower. Uh, you have distractions. You got other chips on the table at the other end of the table where you're throwing them. Anyway, randomness creeps back in. I probably didn't have an edge trying to beat craps, but I tried that. Uh, I tried plenty of other games. Basically, any game in a casino can be beaten in the correct conditions. Uh, so, you know, I just tried to seek out those conditions as much as possible. And that involved, you know, playing promotions with video poker, uh, playing other promotions where casinos would give you free play and try to exploit that and, and work over the marketing systems and, and promotion systems. Um, what was your biggest score? Uh, my biggest score ever was uh, there was there was a large casino that was what ran a promotion for quite a few years, for about three years. And they didn't realize how valuable this promotion was because they weren't losing money with this promotion. In fact, they were making money hand over fist. It was bringing a lot of people into the casino. They, they weren't for fear of losing any money. And so they didn't notice that there was a small group of people that I was a part of. Uh, just a few of us who had found a way to exploit this promotion. And uh, we ended up making over $2 million from this single promotion. Um, and the casino, you know, they're just making so much money that they don't see that we're taking $60,000, $70,000 a month out. And, uh, you know, it, it just went unnoticed for a long time. Eventually, they did kind of figure it out and the promotion dried up. Um, but it just kept going and going and going. Uh, it was, so it was what is this, this thing lasted years? Yeah. Yeah. Several ah. years. Um, yeah. It, it got to the point where I was almost like, when is this going to end and how is this going to end? You know, <laughs> I was always nervous how that shoe is going to drop. Uh, yeah. And luckily it ended pretty, pretty peacefully. <laughs> Beautiful. Man, that's great. All right. So fast forward now, um, 2018 when, uh, you know, all these regulated sports books now enter the market. You're still APing, you're still betting sports, but now things open up for you. And then you started getting a little bit more public with your Twitter uh, handle. Um, Want to describe how that went about? You know, I had always been very active on various message boards in the AP community. And the AP community has always been based on kind of message boards. I mentioned BJ21. I was very active on there for a lot of years. Uh, then there's, you, you'd find there's some private message boards that kind of spring up based on smaller groups that want to kind of network with each other. And I was very active on all of these things. And I remember as we were getting closer to legalization, I would post these updates for people. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd kind of give some legal analysis. I'd give uh, some probability analysis of what the market could look like in time. And it was actually um, Richard Munchkin. He's a famous advantage player. Uh, this guy's seen it all. He's done it all. He said to me, I'm surprised you don't have more of a public persona because you're on top of all of this in a way that nobody else is. And I thought, eh, you know, maybe he's right. So I decided, to, you know, I've had this Twitter account for years and years. I've used it to follow stealthily a lot of different people. I decided I'll, I'll go on there and I'll start posting. And it took off. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's gone very well. Uh, you know, you yourself know you're, you're someone who was not on Twitter for a long time. You got on there, you posted a couple of videos of what it's really like to be a sharp better in a lot of these books and how they treat us. And boom, you know, your profile blew up as well because people want to know more about this. They want to learn. That's why they're listening to this podcast right now. The American better wants to be a better better. You, you tapped into it perfectly. And, you know, if, if we can provide a little bit of a insight into how the sausage is really made, uh, I think they're going to be a better person for it because this isn't a cut and dry industry. This is, a, there's, this is an industry where everybody's got their hand in the pot trying to take a, a little bit of money out, take a lot of money out for themselves. And uh, there's very few people that are looking to build the industry. That's one of the things I'm trying to do, Spanky, is I'm trying to build this industry. I'm trying to make a more sustainable product because a more sustainable sports betting industry benefits all of us, 
you know, it benefits the, the recreational better because their money's going to last longer. It benefits the sharp better because there's going to be more liquidity in the market. You know, look, I was able to make $2 million off a promotion because there were so many other people losing money into this market that nobody noticed that I was making this money. That's the way sports betting can be if there is both sharp and recreational money in the liquidity of the market. Um, but a more sustainable market's good for operators because they're going to last longer. They're not going to burn through these players like they're trying to do right now. And lastly, it's good for the states. Tax revenue is more sustainable if you have more liquidity in the market. Uh, you know, it, I don't see why people don't understand this. I don't see why the Europeans have come over here and tried to make this into uh, a cash grab where they're just going to pump and dump. They're, they're building up these companies with the plan of selling them off selling them to the American people in the stock market. They're, they're just trying to, they're just trying to swindle us. They really are. They're, they're, they're building up this industry. They're going to take their money out. They're going to go retire early. And what we're going to be left with is a sports betting industry. That's just constantly circling the drain. If we keep going this way. Uh, well said. Couldn't agree more, Jack. So you created a, a video series um, just in the last several months that I find so fascinating. I find it, so educational. I loved it. Like I've watched every one of them and um, I kind of wanted to just dive a little bit deeper in some of these things, if that's okay with you, just to be able to, you know, get, get into your mindset and kind of, you know, points that I, uh, you know, personally agree with, or I think that are, that, that should be uh, uh, touched upon a little bit more. Again, this is in no way a, su a substitute for watching your videos. So if anybody's listening to this thinking, I can just listen to this and not watch Jack's videos, that's not the case. You definitely want to watch all the videos, but this is kind of going a little bit, I want to go a little bit deeper um, into some of these topics, if that's all right with you. Let's do it. All right, so the first one, you have five ways to win without a model. Steel lines. Um, I think stale lines is such an underrated thing. Um, it's funny because one guy posted uh, just a little while that uh, the Westgate out in Vegas wind up limiting or limiting a guy to a hundred bucks. He says, all you bet is stale lines or all you're betting is steam. And, um, and they just limit him, um, which is a shame because they're, they try you know, they try to be pretend as if they take on sharp customers, but the reality of it is they don't. Um, Stale lines, how big is that to be able to make money in the sports betting world? You know, I think it's pretty big, Spanky, because, uh, and this is something you've exposed in the past, is these bookmakers don't want to make book anymore. They just want to follow the leader and hope the cash rolls in. You know, they just want to stare at their screen, and when it flashes red, they move their line. Uh, and some of them are good at that. Some of them are bad at that. Well, here's the thing. If you're watching for when Chris or Penny moves their line, um, the opinion's already out there. You know, if, you know, Chris and Penny are sharp, but they're not, they're not the end-all, be-all sharpness. Uh, you know, if, if you're waiting for that screen to flash red, uh, you already missed it. There's guys that have already picked your pocket. Um, so, yes, stale lines exist, and they exist on uh, many different layers, and some books are good at it, some books are bad at it. But really, when it comes down to it, if you have stale lines, you're the problem, uh, not the better that's betting into it. You need to become more efficient as a sportsbook operator. And a lot of these sportsbook operators just cover up the fact that they're bad at trading by, uh, one, limiting the sharps, and two, limiting anyone who has a pulse of how this even works. That's the people they say, oh, no, we, we can't have you. You're, you're betting steam. You're betting stale lines. Um, no, you're the problem, not the better. Yeah, so, so what a great point. I remember being in Costa Rica once, and I was sitting next to one of the best bookmakers. His name was Mr. Green. And he would have a screen, and I think Pinnacle would move to a line. And one of his guys says, Pinnacle just, you know, moved something from five to six on a football game or something. And I remember him looking at his guy, and he goes, I don't give a shit what Pinnacle moved to. Did it, you know, on, we're not going to move until we write a bet. Um, if we write yes. a bet minus five, then we're going to move. So, and these are real, real bookmakers where, and again, and listen, there's times to move on air, times to move on action. I don't want to advise anybody on how to run their business. Um, but a lot of these guys, if they, like you said, if they complain about people picking off numbers, you know, this is our advantage given that we're laying 110. We have the right to shop. And if you have a six and a half and everybody else has a seven, 
you sure? I'm not taking the six and a half. I'm going to be laying it. You see, and I think that they, they find that insulting or how dare you. Um, and that goes back to the thing you said earlier, Jack, where it's just, you know, it's one of those things in which they're trying to pick our pockets and, um, and they're, they're think that it's our fault that we're shopping. So what if we're the educated consumer? They're the ones yeah. that should be handling their own store. If you hang a number, it's there to take a hit. It shouldn't be there to, you know, uh, just, uh, just, you know, just be there for, for looks. The number's there. You either could lay it or you could take it. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's like if you were doing any type of retail shopping, you go on Google and you, you see what the price is on the latest uh, item that people are looking for. And you find that Walmart has it $1.50 cheaper than everybody else. Do you think Walmart doesn't know that they have it $1.50 exactly. cheaper? They have it $1.50 cheaper. So you walk in their store and you buy 10 other different things you didn't really think you needed. And that's how they get, you know, your, their, their, their profit. Uh, sports books can operate the same way. You could put a line out there that you know is better than everybody else because you're going to get people in the door and you're going to realize that not everybody is a sharp better, uh, even if they're just shopping lines. And they may go ahead and, and blow money at some other sport that they're not sharp at or in your online casino or things like that. Um, you know, people that cry about being taken on sale lines, I, I, I'm sorry, I just can't tolerate it. It's, it's their fault, not ours. Agreed. 100%. All right. Um, another thing that you said, five ways to win without a model, you know, arbitrage. Um, this is how I started in the business. So this kind of hits, hits, hits pretty close to me. In your opinion, in, the, in, in 2020, does arbitrage still exist? And is it still a viable option to build a bankroll? You know, it, it, it exists, but on a different scale, Spanky. It exists on um, that there's always situations where you can use arbitrage uh, you know, it's, it's tough. What you do with your arbitrage is different than what I think a lot of recreational bettors view it as. So you understand where the market is going. You know where the high point is and where the low point is. Whereas a lot of recreational bettors look at arbitrage and say, oh, I'm just looking for plus 110 minus 105 at the same exact time. It's not that simple. Um, you know, those situations are still rare and may exist. Uh, you know, I think what a lot of people can use arbitrage for now is when they have situations where they have like a free bet. And uh, if you can find the lowest synthetic hold, it's not quite arbitrage because there's no uh, profit, but since one side might be a free bet, you can get it to the point where you have a very low synthetic hold and maybe you put um, you know, your, free, your $100 free bet on a plus 200 and then you bet elsewhere, uh, you lay you know, $210 elsewhere, well, to minus 210. So you've got a very thin uh, hold percentage there and you're basically weighting it so that you're going to get $100 of, of profit if the side that is a minus 210 comes in. It's not the best use of EV on, it's not the optimal use of EV on that situation, but at least it's a way to kind of use arbitrage to get a profit uh, and I think, you know, and a very low synthetic hold, very risk averse, uh, which I think a lot of recreational betters like to be. Yeah, I, I think the risk, the, the risk aversion thing, I think is a great topic. And you've mentioned it in, in some of your other videos where, you know, some people have different risk profiles. And I think that guys that are just coming up in the business that want to build their bankroll, you know, I, I think instead of trying to make the most money in the world, uh, you said it best, I think, in, in one of your other videos, you said it's all about losing less. And you want to try to be able to lose as l least as possible and then hopefully start building up a bankroll. Yeah, and, and Spanky, one of the points there about losing less is because realistically, I can't make you a winning sports better. I can't, you can't watch my video and instantly become a winning sports better. It doesn't work like that. This is a, very, this is a fairly efficient market. Uh, you need to put in a lot of study and a lot of work and a lot of understanding about how sports betting works. And that's what I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you a better way to study, a better way to become smarter. Uh, it's why people listen to your podcast. Uh, it's because there's a, there's a better way to approach this all. It's, it's you know, uh, bet the process, right? That's another good phrase that, you know, for Rufus and Jeff Ma's podcast, uh, be better betters. You know, we're all trying to teach these things of there's no easy way to do this. There's no magic bullet. So if you can kind of trim the house edge and make yourself more sustainable over time, kind of flatten the trajectory of your bankroll, then you have the ability to, as you learn, 
and maybe contribute to your bankroll more to build yourself up higher so that when you get the ability to uh, beat the sports book, beat a sport or beat a prop or something like that, you have the knowledge of how much am I going to bet in that situation? How am I going to approach that situation? Uh, what's the best method for uh, building a bankroll from this? All these different angles that we're kind of teaching you so that when you get this ability, uh, you're, you're ready for that situation. You're not just going to flame out. I love it. Well said. Speaking of trying to beat the market uh, or, or beat this, uh, one, of the, one of my favorite things that you said in the video, five mistakes betters make handicapping sports. Number one, believing you can. I think that's so <laughs> awesome because everybody thinks that they're, you know, the world's greatest handicapper, or they think not even that. They think they can handicap well enough to be able to overcome that house edge. What percentage in your mind, Jack, uh, of betters believe that, you know, can handicap sports at a profitable level? Oh, it's very, it's extremely low, Spanky. It's, I, I like to use the number of 2%. 2% of people can beat sports long-term uh, through handicapping. And there's so many other different ways to beat sports. And that's the thing. Like, if you go into a sports book on a Sunday afternoon, uh, there's a lot of people in there that are just looking to, to bet winners. They just want to find winners. Um, sports betting is not about finding winners. It's about finding inefficiency and taking advantage of that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways to attack sports betting and trying to predict winners on an NFL Sunday is the worst possible way. You know, it, everybody likes to kind of indicate that NFL's is the greatest sport on earth to bet at. And it is, it's a lot of fun. I bet on the NFL myself. I don't expect to turn a profit on a lot of these bets. You know, a lot of this is just kind of churning through sports books so that they see some regular action from me. Cause I know I don't have, too big of an advantage and I don't have too bad of a disadvantage when it comes to the NFL because the NFL is highly efficient. Uh, people in Europe, uh, English Premier League, that's another example of a highly efficient market. Now, it doesn't mean there's nothing about the NFL that's beatable because there are some different uh, derivatives and props and things like that that can definitely be beat. Um, but when you're, when, if you're in a, a sports book on a Sunday afternoon and, and people have their, their six-team parlay of uh, you know, all the NFL favorites that day, uh, and they probably did real well this last Sunday. The sports books will be, will be packed going forward because they're going to be spending back those winnings. But those people all have this false nature that you can predict the future in the NFL. No, you can't. Well, yeah, I, just to even for, elaborate on that a little more, you know, of that 2% that you think that, 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 are, that are handicappers, what percentage of those are using computers or using some type of uh, – automated system or some type of uh, a programming language or, or something, uh, even, even basic Excel spreadsheet, whatever it is, because, you know, do, do, does, in your opinion, does the pencil and paper handicapper exist at all today anymore? I still know some pencil and paper handicappers that are very successful. Um, you know, I've got a good friend out in Las Vegas who that's how he's done it all these years. I actually have several friends in Las Vegas that that's how they've done it. Um, and they're more qualitative handicappers. They can mm -hmm. just see something and sense that it's off. They've seen so many lines. They've seen so many scenarios. You know, they, they have this computer in their head that, has, that is crunching what they see. And uh, they can spot inefficiency. And that's how they, they do it. Um, but for a lot of people, yeah, they, they need to kind of run it through some kind of model of some, some kind of quantitative analysis to find the angle. Uh, and that's fine too, but there's a, there is something to be said for a, a blend between the quantitative and the qualitative. And that's the kind of the perfect scenario where you can uh, see something and, and know it's off and then quantify it uh, in some way to know exactly how much you should be betting into that situation. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, I, I, I think that the qualitative handicapping, I think that that's they're few and far in between. I think they're, they're, it's, it's such a rare skill to have, but if you have it, it's huge. Um, where I think most of the guys uh, today are more quantitative or more, you know, making their own numbers and, and, and whatnot. And I think that, you know, for somebody to believe that they could compete with these math geniuses or these big math guys, I just think, you know, it's a, it's a tough hill to climb. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, look, and it's only going to get worse. 
you know, we're attracting in with the legalization, we're going to attract in a lot of these Wall Street guys that are kind of come in with their uh, different ways of doing things and their, their quantified methods. And, and they're going to be beating it in ways that we haven't even thought of yet. You know, that's the beauty of uh, sports betting is as we march towards efficiency, there's going to be more and more ways to do this and better ways to do this. And we've seen it, it's, it, you know, it mirrors the financial equity markets in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, the way that people are beating financial equity markets now are not necessarily the ways they were beating it back in the 60s and 70s. So we're going to see that with sports betting as well. Um, you know, I know there's a big push now for machine learning. Uh, I'm not totally sold that machine learning when it comes to sports betting is terribly viable. There's, there's something that's lacking there and it, and it lacks a lot of that qualitative uh, analysis that you really need to understand when it comes to beating a, a sports market. Yeah, well said. So let's go another now another video, five ways to trim the house edge. I really love this video. Um, uh, shop lines, and I think that's kind of like, kind of falls in line with stale lines, but even if they're not stale, how big is shopping lines? Like that, that's the easiest thing I remember you saying that anybody could do um, to try to trim the house edge. You want to just further uh, dive deeper into that? Oh, absolutely. You know, look, if you are a recreational sports better that wants to try to be a better better, the best thing you can do is have as many outs as possible. Uh, if you're lucky enough to live in a state such as New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Colorado, uh, a state that has a competitive Indiana, a state that has a competitive sports betting marketplace, you better have all of the apps downloaded. You better have uh, signed up for all of them and uh, maximize their sign-up offers um, because just shopping your lines is the best possible way to gain an edge. Uh, you know, it's, it goes without saying, really. Um, if you're in a state that only has a single out, you know, if you're in like Delaware, New Hampshire, Montana, you know, where there is just the lottery-controlled sports betting, I feel sorry for you. You have only that one out. You're going to need to use offshore. You're going to need to use some of the other markets. And, and that's the other thing about like some of these states that have restricted the way that sports betting is done. They're encouraging the offshore industry. They're, 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 they're propping up the offshore industry because they're basically making it impossible for you to be excited about betting sports without going and expanding your horizons out to these uh, black market and gray market uh, uh, entries that you, know, you, you need to use to get your money down. So, uh, but shopping lines is absolutely one of the easiest and best ways to limit the house edge. Another topic you mentioned is don't pay for picks. You know, what do you feel about that? Look, I've gone back and forth with quite a few people um, when it comes to the idea of paying for picks. Now, when I'm talking about don't pay for picks is don't fall for the obvious scams, the Vegas Daves, the the, you know, the guys that are, are, are telling you they have this unsustainable record of, you know, I'm 80%, I'm 75%. Uh, bullshit, they're not. They may be able to produce records like that, but those are lines you'll never be able to bet at. Uh, you know, they might have made up the lines. They might have gotten in early. Uh, you wouldn't have been able to bet their lines. Um, I'm very dubious of anyone who says they can pick over 55%, let alone 70 or 80%. Uh, look, there are people out there that beat sports, and for whatever reason, they decide that they want to sell, sell some of their picks. Do I think it's wise for people to pay for that? It's, here's the thing. You need to be able to be very agile. If you're going to pay for picks for, from somebody, you need to be able to find their line. That's the first thing, and that's, that's sometimes not easy to do. And you need to be able to bet enough so that you are overcoming the price that you pay for that so that the price you pay for picks doesn't become this extra tax on top of your sports betting. Um, so if you can accomplish that, if you can find a line as good or better than what they're giving out and you can justify the amount of money that you're, you're putting into it, then possibly, yes, it is worth it for you to pay for picks. But the majority of people that are listening to this podcast are not going to be in that situation and they need to be honest with themselves about how they approach this. Uh, you, you know, you, you can't rely on somebody else to do the winning for you. This is not an easy street. Okay. You need to put in the work. Every good thing that you do in life comes with hard work and sports betting is no different. So do yourself a favor. 
uh, you know, try to beat the market yourself in ways like props and derivatives and other these low-hanging fruit that I always like to talk about. Don't just go straight to paying for picks. You know, you're, you're cheating yourself out of uh, a lot of enjoyment in, in your hard work. Yeah, I, 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 well, I think it's perfect. I think what you, you know, the tax that you have to overcome for the service fee needs, that has to be overcome by the amount of money you get down. And I think that it has to be significant. And I, I, I think that, you know, um, and I think it has to be a huge, huge multiple of what you're paying per pick. And it's so rare because let's just say, you know, somebody's charging $50 a pick, whatever it is, the way you break it down, you have to be bidding so much more than that. 5X, 10X, 20X, it all depends on how often the picks are released or how, how big the edge is. But it has to be so worth it for you to overcome that. And it's hard. That's such a, it's, it's so hard to sustain that. And like you said, if somebody's really good, it's hard to get that line. So you have to, you know, like for me, you know, have I paid for picks? Well, we paid for picks. Absolutely, we've paid for picks for people that move the market. Now, I have a computerized system where I have thousands of accounts where I am able to, you know, sometimes beat the guys before the, you know, before the line even moves, and I'm able to hit all these outs very fast. So for somebody like me where I have an automated system where I'm able to do things within milliseconds, it's a completely different. I think for the average Joe, um, it's just so, so hard um, to, to be able to have that as a sustainable uh, sustainable solution to be able to beat sports betting. Is it impossible? No, but I think it's extremely difficult. And I think we could both agree to end it there on that. What do you think? Yeah. Hopefully I didn't uh, didn't anger the powers that be with, with my response. No, listen, no, it's real. <laughs> what, you, what you say is real. That's, that's just, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a real thing. So, Jack, I'm, you know, I'm a firm believer that once you get to a certain level in this business, uh, longevity is the most important factor. Uh, knowing how to win for a professional, knowing how to win, I think, becomes trivial after a certain point. Again, a lot of people oh, don't undermine winning, you know, underplay winning, you're downplaying it. No, winning is important. But once you know how to win, once, you know, once you know how to count cards one in, in a casino environment, once you know how to hold card, once you know how to do all these skills – once you know, find an angle, you know how to handicap sports. These are all great once you learn that skill. But once you learn that skill, to be able to take it to the next level, to be able to scale up and to be able to get down and to be able to – because just because you find an edge, that's such a small part of the battle. Finding the edge, they're out there. They're all, all Every casino near you is going to have some type of a bad dealer or, or, or a good game or whatever it is or there's going to be a sports book that's going to hang up different props or different beatable things. But I think the longevity, I think the art of it is knowing how to last and knowing how to be able to extend that edge over a period of time. What do you in the first two part question? Number one, do you agree with what I'm saying? And number two, what's the biggest advice you could give to anybody to be able to extend that edge as much as possible to be able to last as long as possible? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I agree, Spanky. One of the things that I'm fond of saying on my videos is uh, there's the art of science. There's sorry, there's the science of sports betting, and there's the art of sports betting. And a lot of people, especially APs, uh, advantage players, they can understand the science of sports betting or advantage play or whatever, and they totally flunk on the art of advantage play and art of sports betting. Uh, look. What you're doing is you're exploiting an inefficiency and you need to be able to not only identify that and identify the science behind it, but you need to be able to identify how to get the money down. And getting the money down is one of the key components of winning at gambling, uh, especially if you're betting into an advantageous situation because it's not going to last and you need to figure out a way to make it last. Um, you know, I look, I tripped up early in New Jersey thinking that these sports books would be more tolerant than they were. Uh, you know, I got thrown out of uh, DraftKings uh, about three weeks after they opened or, you know, not thrown out, but I got limited down to pennies to wager on. Uh, and at the time, I wasn't even winning. But they identified from what I was doing and, you know, betting the derivatives I was betting that, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. And so they quickly limited me. Uh, good job on their part. They, they, they sniffed me out quickly. Um, was that the last bet I ever placed at DraftKings? No. <laughs> because there's an art 
there's an art of sports betting, right? And there's different ways to, uh, you know, when one door closes, you come in through the window. Um, so, you know, and that's all I'm going to say about that. But the point of it is, the point of it is, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about violating terms and conditions. I'm just talking about, you know, there's different ways to get down. You need to be able to be cognizant of what you're doing and how you need to take this artistic approach to it. Uh, you know, Spanky, you are a Picasso in terms of the art of sports betting because you take about it, you take an approach. Uh, you know, look, when you walk into a sports book as Spanky, the sports book goes, you know, hey, look, it's Spanky. You're not going to be able to bet here. Um, but, you know, you're not always the person that needs to be making the wager for you to make money at a sports book. Uh, and so that's fine. Um, you know, you found a way to uh, exploit the art of sports betting. And I think a lot of people need to realize that, you know, you can't just walk in and just bet all the props you want. Um, you need to be able to give them some NFL sides and totals, um, more sides than totals, in order to kind of blend in a little bit more. Uh, you know, you need to make your prop action maybe just be 20% of your total action. Yeah. Um, you can leverage things like arbitrage to be able to get some uh, wagers down that look pretty square uh, so that you can bet some props and derivatives at, with an advantage uh, sometime several days down the line. Uh, you might need to uh, wager in their online casino to, in order to kind of throw off their scent. Um, there's a lot of different things you can do to come about sports betting where you're just not this machine, this robot that's going in and just picking off the advantages because you're, you're just not going to last that way. So um, you definitely need to look at the art of sports betting just as much as you look at the science of sports betting. I've noticed, Jack, in, in, in at least in these regulated sports books, that me coming in the front door, introducing myself, telling them who I am and what I plan to do, I've gotten a lot more uh, longevity with that. I think that, you know, I think not coming in, you know, and the guy, I, the guy at FanDuel, I'm still able to bet at FanDuel to this day. And one of the guys, you know, the guy there, he told me, was, I appreciate you telling me that, you know, admitting that. Uh, that you know, I need you more than you need me, uh, and I told him that I you know you don't need me. Um, I admit I need you a lot more than you need me. But if there's anything I could do to help out or whatever, and I think that's something that you know is lost in today's era, where um, sports books utilize players to their advantage. Um, you know, when it comes to AP or casino play, it really doesn't exist. But I think in sports betting, there could be a two-way street where a sports books can use a sharp better. Um, you know, to either not just make their line sharper, but maybe maybe to, you know, even out themselves if they're a little bit too much exposed. There's a lot of different things. And I, I've tried to be that person for a lot of sports books and I've done so successfully. Um, is that viable today? And do you think that'll continue in the future? And, you know, that's part of what makes you such a good artist at this is that you identify that and you try to work with, with sports books. Spanky, I've been in a sports book with you. Uh, within the last week, we, ha we had lunch <laughs> together in Atlantic City. Uh, and we decided to walk on over to the DraftKings sports book. And they, they embraced you with open arms because, hey, it's Spanky, you know. And they were more than willing to, you know, to talk with you because they view you as this luminary. Now, they don't want to take your action, and that's their fault. Uh, that's not a, even out of their control there at the physical DraftKings Sportsbook, it's more of their back-end traders that don't want to take your action. Um, but they recognize your value. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of sportsbooks need to think in terms of that. Uh, you, in one of my videos, I made the point that you can, you can better your sportsbook experience by just being courteous and friendly to the staff. Uh, you know, they're wearing a name tag. Call them by name. Don't, you know, don't treat them like they're your servant or some kind because they get a lot of shitty people that uh, just treat them horribly in the sports book day in and day out. You know, sports bettors are not known for their congeniality. And if you can come in there and you can be friendly and courteous, uh, you can build longevity that way. Uh, you know, I had a play for a, a few number of years at a sports book that's notorious for kicking out sharps. Um, you, they're probably your arch enemy. Uh, and they, they took a lot of my action just because I was courteous and friendly. Um, and I, you know, I knew how the system worked and they were willing to kind of, uh, you know, let me go ahead and bet because they liked having me around, you know, that's how things work, man. It's, you know, you don't have to just be this, this antisocial angry guy that goes in and, and 
bet sports. Um, you can be a person. You mean it's such a beautiful thing. I think it, you, you put it perfectly. Just be, be a person, be a nice guy. I think that goes such a long way in this business. You know, guys, I think that are, that are so sharp, that like to bet all these props and they're doing this. They go in there thinking that they have the right to just stomp all over these joints. It's not like that. These joints don't need you. You know, it's a courtesy. I think that, you know, for once you realize that we need them so much more than they need us, and I and I know I know it's hard. Like my God, how could this be? This is America. How could they just kick now? It's a private business. They can do whatever they want. So you want to make them, you know, you want to make it as hard as possible to look you in the eye and tell you you can't play here anymore. At least that's that's my strategy because you know, and I know it's going to ultimately happen. But I want to do my best for somebody to not be able to tell me I can't play. I know I I, I you know I'm, I've been nothing. You know, you got to follow the rules. Like you said, Jack, you don't give, you got to give NFL work. You have to do all these things. You, you know, you, you had another video where you kind of explained how to, to uh, percent, uh, put the percentages on different types of bets. So if you're, if you're doing 100% props, there's no shot. You'll never last. But if you only make your prop action 20%, 15%, et cetera, whatever you do there to be able to just like, not even fly under the radar, yes, but also to just show that, hey, listen, I'm giving something back. I'm not just trying to go for your juggler and kill you. I'm trying to say, here, I might have an edge on this. Like when I was at the South Point a couple of years ago, um, Chris Andrews, Jimmy Vaccaro, they treated me great, you know, and not just because I'm a nice guy, but, you know, I would give them NFL work. I'm giving them 20, 30 dime pops on NFL sides. So, you know what, if I want a dime on a college basketball total, what are they going to They can't, they're not going to say no to me. So, you know, I'm giving them 30 dimes on NFL. And, and they're, mm-hmm. they're, 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 it's, a, it's a give and take thing. Okay, whatever. He'll have, yeah, we know he has an edge on the, on the college basketball. We know the stuff's going to move. But you know what? They're giving us that NFL work. He's giving us – he's making an effort. So it's okay. And I think that that's lost. In t- and this is – I'm talking to professionals out there. I'm not talking to the amateurs. So this is like a professional thing. And, and Jack is a professional, and I'm a professional. So it's like a little bit of advice from professionals – Listen to Jack when he says that you got to just be a person. You got to know that you just can't kill somebody off or just try to go for that, you know, hammer him into oblivion. It just doesn't work that way. Um, the sports books are limited. Um, and, and, and once you get kicked out of everywhere, then, you know, you're going to have to rely on beards and do all this stuff and play the cat and mouse game. And what a pain in the ass it is. It's a game that I play all the time and I hate it. Um, I'd rather, you know, have that longevity one-on-one and be treated, um, you know, amicably and, and to have a, a symbiotic relationship. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so, you know, Jack, every time I've, I've, uh, I've met you, it's, it's like you're one of the few guys, when we first met, it's funny, when, you know, if you want to get into that story, I think that's a great story. Yeah. Um, so I remember Dave Purdom was in town from ESPN and he said, Hey, you want to have dinner? And I said, yeah, sure. So me and Joey tunes, we show up to dinner and then I see you and I'm like, you know, who's that guy? I mean, you didn't tell me you were bringing anybody. And then uh, Dave Purdom says, yeah, this is uh, captain Jack. And, um, and I'm like, oh, okay. Hi, how are you doing? And I remember you, you like, I'm like, yeah. And I was just describing, you know, our history and stuff. And I think you knew more about me than I knew about myself during that dinner. Like you really, like you, re- you researched and stuff and you look, and then, I, you know, just the five, 10, 15 minutes of the conversation, I realized how knowledgeable you were. And I don't think there's a time, Jack, where I hung out with you that I didn't learn something. And um, that's how much, you know, I admire you and how much knowledge you have. You are a teacher. Um, and you were born to teach and to be able to shed light. You know, don't get me wrong, you're a gambler, but I think that uh, you're, you're a gambler's gambler, and you teach gamblers. That, um, you know, so I think that's such a, a thing that not too many people have. It's one of your best attributes, and um, I, I am so, so happy to call you friend, and I'm so uh, uh, impressed by the work that you've produced, and I hope it just continues on. Um, for so long, but you know, the question remains, Jack is, you know, you're doing all this stuff for free. Um, how can, you know, like when are you going to make money off this? Because you deserve to be compensated. my man. Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of, um, <laughs> that's a sticky situation there, Spanky. And by the way, thank you for those kind words. Uh, you know, really it, it's an honor and a privilege to call you a friend as well. 
um, you know, you're probably one of the best uh, people persons I've ever met when it comes to this, this, in, this, this business, right? This business is full of a lot of people that have kind of a odd personalities and, and you're definitely one that uh, uh, you, you, your personality and your, the way you carry yourselves in, in social settings is, is just a joy to watch and, and be around. So uh, anyway, but back to your question, uh, you know, look, I got into, I got doing these videos because largely we were in the middle of the pandemic and uh, I felt like I had nothing better to do and this was a good way to give back. And I really enjoyed it, and I felt like this is this is information that needs to be out there. The sports better needs to be more educated. Um, there's too many people that are in this industry, uh, this this big industry, uh, just with their hand in the pot, trying to get, trying to take a money grab. Um, and when you go on YouTube, you see that, like you see people they're trying to sell you picks on YouTube, or they're trying to uh, give you a phony sports book review that ends in an affiliate link that basically they get paid. So of course they're going to say all kind of glowing things about this sports book because they're in a situation to get paid for referring people sometimes like 200, $300 a head for people that uh, they refer and, and sign up at a sports book. Uh, you know, and I, I just can't stand that. I can't stand people that look to profit off of other people because what they're doing is they're taking money out of this economy. And that, and that's what this is. Thank you. This is an economy, right? Uh, we need money kind of circulating around in this, in this business. Uh, as I said earlier, it helps everyone. So when you have people that are just trying to find a way to profiteer from this business, it just, it bothers me. So now I get into it and I start producing these videos and they take a lot of time. Uh, you know, it takes me, you know, <laughs> the first few videos took about 30 hours to get together. Um, and now, you know, I, I got it down to maybe uh, 15 to 20 hours of work per video. Uh, a lot of that is post-production. I try to make it as sound as professionally as possible. Try to look as professionally as possible. You got to try to keep the people interested in what they're watching. Um, you got to make it snappy, you know, and I would like to be compensated for this. I sure would. But at the same time, I don't want to uh, compromise everything I've done up until now and compromise the integrity that I've built by saying, look, you know, look, I need, I need money for this. I make almost no money from these videos already. I have ads turned on on YouTube. And you know what that makes me, Spanky? That makes me about $8 per video. And that's spread over three months time. Uh, it's, it's literally pennies that I make from this. And so when the pandemic ended or you know subsided and uh, we were able to bet sports again, I had to make up for lost time. I had about six months worth of income that just didn't come in the door. And so I've been heads down betting as, as much as I can, wherever I can, uh, trying to make up that lost income. So I'm going to get back into this flow of producing videos again. Um, but right now they are an opportunity cost for me. I am basically giving up other income whenever I take time out to, to create these videos. So if someday I do find a way to monetize my content, here's one thing I can promise is it's never going to be in a way that takes money out of this economy. If I am able to offer something that is of value to somebody, I am going to make sure that it is priced in a way that is less than, is a less of a cost than the projected revenue that the person will take out of, of watching my videos and learning from me. That's, that's what I promise to do is I'm always going to be able to provide more value to the consumer than whatever the cost is that they had to pay to, to absorb the content. Um, so, you know, I'm sure down the line, if that happens, I'm not even sure if that'll happen, but if that happens, I'm sure I'm going to have detractors that are going to say, oh, look, there's Jack just trying to uh, profit off of us. Um, look, if I was trying to profit off of you, I could have sold you down the river a hundred times by now. I, I understand how this business works. I could have set up affiliate models everywhere. I could have, you know, steered the public into the buzzsaw of some of these sports books that are willing to pay me two, $300 per signup. Um, I could have done all that by now. I didn't do it. So either I'm a bad businessman or maybe I have some integrity behind me. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I think you're, you're full of integrity. And I think that um, listen, everybody has a right to earn. And uh, I, I, you know, no matter who it is, bad, good, you have every got a right to earn. And I think that your videos are so, listen, I, I, I've been in this game for a long time and I learned things watching from your videos. So if I could learn something, I'm sure most people can learn something from watching your videos. You provide value, and um, I think that it's long overdue. I hope that you'll be able to monetize this 
and I hope that somebody, you know what I mean, is able to, to, to give you something for this because it really is such a valuable thing. It's a tool that I wish, you know, when I was coming up in this business, I relied on forums. Um, and these forums, when I, I knew nothing, I would ask questions on these forums, Major Wager, Betters World, the RX, um, the list goes on and on. And, um, and these forums would help me. They were invaluable because I would ask questions and guys would answer questions. Hey, what do you think this number is worth? Or how would you calculate this? Or, you know, tell me about this out. Do they pay? All these little things that you, I would ask and, and people would just be willing to help out. And it's so thing. And I think that, it, you know, to be able to have that type of environment, to be able to give back and to be able to provide information is such an invaluable thing, especially to beginners. And, and also it's, it's, it's invaluable to, to guys in the intermediate level or even the pro level. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's such a great thing. And I thank you so much for bringing your, your knowledge and those videos to the industry. Should we tell people where to find those videos? Absolutely, Jack. Go ahead. I'm, yes. <laughs> uh, you, you go uh, YouTube.com and you can search for Captain Jack Andrews. Uh, use all three words. If you just search for Captain Jack, you get a lot of Pirates of the Caribbean. If you search for Jack Andrews, you get a lot of, uh, I don't know, there's uh, British royalty or something. I don't know. But uh, Captain Jack Andrews. And you'll find uh, all the videos. You'll find the channel there. It's also linked under my Twitter bio. You can, you can always find it there as well. And that leads me to, you know, I usually end with, you know, asking guys to give me advice on how to, uh, you know, if there's one bit of advice, you can give somebody to become a better, better. Um, I can't ask you that because you can just go to the videos. There's, you know, 55 nuggets of information um, that somebody could look at. So I don't want to put you on the spot, but I think, you know, uh, we've kind of alluded to shopping for lines and all this stuff. There's so many ways. I can't recommend these videos enough. Uh, Jack Andrews is one of the best in the game, very well respected by everybody in the industry, and um, I'm so proud to call him friend. Jack, I know you're a busy guy. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Be Better Betters. It means a lot to me, brother. Thank you, Spanky. It meant a lot to come on here as well. Um, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're doing God's work here by keeping this industry on the straight and narrow and uh, kind of trying to get it back to where it used to be and where it should be going forward. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thank you. One of my boys in a business, solid guy. Twitter handle at Capjack2000. You could see all the links to the videos there. Um, everything's free. Um, and uh, you'll definitely learn something watching these videos. He's such a, you know, he's a humble guy. But let me tell you, Captain Jack is so damn smart. And you just know it. If you spend any time with him, <clears throat> you know, you guys, a lot of people see just the Twitters and his tweets. And, you know, they're very great articulate tweets but when you see him uh in person and when he composes himself and he just he's just such a solid solid dude who knows his shit and i can't recommend him enough um at capjack 2000 uh definitely worth a follow and i would definitely watch those videos and i always when he speaks or when he types something i'm always there to listen thanks so much for the time until next time